0: This is John Rubino from DollarCollapse.com, and you're listening to Run to Gold. Welcome back to the 88th episode of the RunToGold.com podcast, and in this episode, I'd like to talk a little bit about the gold and silver markets and how they relate to this latest video from Eric DeCarbinole of MarketSkeptics.com. Uh with the gold and silver markets, of course, uh, gold has hit $1,500 an ounce, and silver has hit uh, over $44 an ounce. Record prices, of course, when priced in fiat currency. However, as I wrote in uh, my article about Mark Faber's comment that gold is cheaper now than it was in 1999, I, I actually think that, that there might be some truth to that. Uh, silver is still in sustained backwardation. Uh, but it's not backwardated across the entire futures curve like it had been. In this case, uh, currently it's only in backwardation from May of 2012 to December of 2014. Uh, One of the theses behind this is that uh, there's going to be additional silver supply coming online from various mines that are going to be delivered around those dates, and uh, because of that, that's why the price is going to go down. Increased supply, uh, demand remains the same, price should go down. Uh, I I think we're going to continue to see investment demand for silver and uh, particularly because of all the counterparty risk and the interest rate risk which is kind of the 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 main component of these derivatives that are failing these w- financial weapons of mass destruction. Now, when getting to these derivatives, the whole reason we need derivatives and the whole reason we need almost all the financial instruments that we have uh, in today's day and age is because we have the Federal Reserve and we have fiat currency and fractional reserve banking. Now, what the Federal Reserve has been doing uh, to maintain confidence in its little colored coupons that aren't uh, actually anything tangible, uh, as Eric Carbonell. Uh, elucidates in his video they've been selling puts on long term treasuries now this is actually just just kind of really crazy uh, because it's like buying insurance from an insurance company for that insurance company so I mean when you buy insurance like if you go to Geico and buy insurance for your car and you wreck your car then you get to put your car to Geico for uh, the value of the car before it got wrecked, right? Well, uh, would you buy insurance uh, on Geico from Geico? I mean, that doesn't make any sense, because when GEICO wrecks and isn't worth anything, how are they going to pay you uh, what they were worth before they got wrecked? Uh, This is effectively what the Federal Reserve is doing by selling puts on the long-term treasuries. Uh, Here are a couple quotes uh, from actual FOMC meeting minutes and various documents straight from the Fed, which Eric DeCarbonol, uh links to very thoroughly in his in his blog post on this issue, uh, one of them is a quote. Of course, a successful program would be one which any option sold would never be exercised. End quote. Uh, this shows kind of the intent behind the program. Uh, they don't intend to uh, pay out on these options to begin with Uh, because that means that uh, that the insurance company would be wrecked, right? Um, Another quote, quote, we could sell put options on long-term treasury securities at strike prices associated with desired longer-term yields. Okay, you couple this with another quote, quote, third, a large volume of options sold could reduce risk premiums embedded in longer term rates, independent of the level of credibility about any policy commitment, end of quote. Uh, So what we have here is when you're making a market, the prices are set at the margin, you know, depending on whatever the bid and ask are and the spread between those two. This is one of the reasons why I think there's so much value to be had uh, in private deals right now, because there's not a lot of competition, the liquidity's dried up, and so you can really, like, come in with the low bid, and somebody might, like, hit, you know, or you might be able to hit an offer that's low and pick up a lot of intrinsic value. And so, when we're dealing with the larger public markets, Uh, and you have this, quote, large volume of options sold, end of quote, that you're using to reduce the premiums, you're only dealing with, you know, that 1% or 2% of the supply and demand that's at at the margins of whatever particular market you're dealing with. And so if you sell enough of it, you can move the price wherever you want to you know if 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 somebody comes in and sells gold uh at a severely undervalued price at say five dollars, but they've got like a you know a hundred bajillion ounces of it, then it's gonna drive the price down to five dollars until that seller uh, either runs out of supply or no longer offers uh, at whatever price. And so, you know, even if you want to buy all bajillion ounces at $5, you still have to have the $5 to buy it. And and so as that pricing is going on in the market, it it's when somebody, when an institution or organization is able to step in and overwhelm the offer, uh, depth of the pool because they can sell, in effect, an unlimited number of these put options. Then you're able to control uh, the price uh, through this manipulation. Of course, that's in the short term. But you know, with governments, their short term might be years or a couple decades, as opposed to an individual's long term, uh, short term, which is a you know a couple days, weeks, or months, you know, at the most. Now, uh, another quote, quote, the most cost-effective way to protect against a sharp rise in nominal interest rates is, therefore, to buy put options on those bonds, Ends of quote. Now, I was, I was talking with a friend of mine who's, uh, he's a broker-dealer, works for a broker-dealer, and uh, we'd been talking about peak oil. And this was like clear back, you know, f- four years ago or so. And I made a comment to him, which I think is very applicable to the discussion here. I said, the derivative controls the price of the underlying. Now, what I mean by that is, it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog. If you can control the derivative. Then you're going to be able to control the price of the underlying uh, because there's not going to be necessarily like the arbitrage opportunities and whatnot in there. And so if you come in and you overwhelm uh, the the put options, then you know people are are not going to buy uh, too much of the underlying. They're going to buy what they need. And, and when you're dealing with things that aren't necessarily Uh, hoarded like oil but consumed, then it's going to be able to keep that price down. Now, with treasuries, this has a very interesting dynamic in the great credit contraction uh, because this... The same friend of mine, he was asking me, oh, well, you know, when's the dollar going to collapse, you know, and become worthless through hyperinflation? I was like, well, it's going to be the last one standing out of all the, out of all the currencies. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, I mean, I've written about that a lot. That's why it's, you know, the bottom layer of the liquidity pyramid right above gold. uh, Because of the depth of the capital markets, the, you know, our securities, and, and commodities markets, the dollar's just got such depth to it, which is where this large volume of options uh, comes into play. You know, we're 14 trillion dollar economy, and so the dollar, you know, the only real threat, you know, to this monopoly is is the euro. You know, and then you got the yen and the pound, but they're not they're not deep enough to handle these big capital flows. And so the only real competitor to these fiat paper franchises is gold. Ultimately, all of these fiat currencies are the dollar, and they're all going to evaporate before the dollar does. And this is exactly what we've been seeing and why the the other central banks and governments are being engaged in uh, competitive devaluations and things like that. Well... In this whole process of, of the Fed selling these puts, in effect, they're trying to effect a price control on the Treasury securities. And the, the consequence from that, they don't intend to bear. Uh, they never intend to pay out on these options that they're selling. In fact, they said so. A successful program would be one which any option sold would never be exercised. That's because they they don't want their little Fiat paper franchise to uh, go away. So they're able to sell these puts to keep the interest rates low, and they don't really have to worry too much about the real long-term consequences, because the long-term consequences are that the Fed's going to go away, (laughs) and it's just a matter of time. Now, there's going to be a lot of rearranging of the chairs and the wealth in the meantime when that happens, but... When you're dealing with these these uh, long-term rates and you're dealing with uh, the large capital flows, and this all relates to China because as we keep these, as we sell these put options, then the principal value of their treasury securities uh, maintains its value. And so they use that to go in and, you know, they're buying companies and countries you know they're they're very active in africa which i actually think there's a lot of opportunity in africa i think that we're gonna see a ton of opportunity over the next 20 years to invest in africa and now might even be a good time to buy some real estate over there uh, i'm not personally gonna buy any but because uh, you know i'll just pick it up later when it's cheaper in terms of gold and there's a little bit less political risk but um but if you're a little bit larger longer term strategy like China, then you know that's what makes sense because with the market you ha- you don't have enough volume uh, to really uh, meet. Your, your demand uh, when when you go to sell treasuries or things like that. So, I mean, China's kind of screwed with this because they own so many of our treasuries, but if they're able to have the Fed sell these put options uh, to keep the interest rates low, because if, if the interest rates rise, then you know, you're going to take a massive hit on your bonds uh, based on the principal because of the discounted future cash flow and the net present value and the discount rate. So, This is, uh, you know, this kind of ties in all geopolitically, and it very well could be a reason why uh, China is trying to keep Europe afloat. You know, China is lending money to Spain and, you know, just Portugal and trying to to keep that sovereign debt crisis from really exploding and, and having the contagion. And so the Fed, they're using these these put options to keep the interest rates of the treasuries low, which helps to maintain confidence in the dollar. And of course we know that gold is the antithesis of that. So as long as they're able to manipulate the price of the treasuries uh, through the derivative uh, put options, then they're able to influence market perceptions and the price of gold. Well, what that does is it, because the price of gold is lower than it otherwise would be, uh, it increases demand. And so, because it's cheap, you know, why not buy it? As Mark Faber is saying, it's cheaper than it was in 1999. Well, it might be actually a lot cheaper because of how, how many of these uh, put options the Fed's been selling uh, in the last 10 years. And... We haven't really seen any substantial amount of capital move into the gold market yet. Uh, Bloomberg just reported about uh, the Texas Retirement Fund that just moved a billion dollars into physical gold and took physical delivery of it. And look at what's happened to the gold price since they probably started taking delivery. You know, it's probably up 50 bucks an ounce just from them taking the physical metal. Well, that's what's going to happen when you set these price controls uh, through these put options and through, uh, because this is really just another extension of the gold price suppression scheme, a very clever one. Uh, is the price gets too low. And so eventually there's going to be a shortage. Shortage will lead to rationing. Uh, but the whole system's just going to go boom. And that's what I think this sustained silver backwardation that I let into this podcast, uh, that's what I think this is about, is the dollar if there's in effect there's a run on it. The Texas pension fund is the first of these kind of whales uh, to move, you know, and say I need gold. You know, there was Northwestern Insurance; they took four hundred million dollars of gold, and then you had uh, Einhorn, and he he converted his GLD position to gold after I wrote my article. He did that about six months later, and uh it'd be kind of funny. And uh, so I think that we're going to be seeing even more demand for the monetary metals. Even though they're at record highs, you know, I don't think that they're at record highs in terms of value. And I think that the more people, you know, the more they're in the consciousness hitting all-time record highs, the more people realize that there's something seriously wrong with the fundamentals of the currency. And that's when they began searching for alternatives and searching for uh, different ways to uh, employ their gold. You know, through hypothecation uh, and through, uh, you know, perhaps there could be a way to trade stocks uh, and settle in gold instead of these fiat currencies. You know, maybe we could have a stock exchange that settles in gold. That would be pretty cool. It would remove a lot of costs from the current uh, stock exchanges we have. Uh, but that highlights the, the demand for gold <laughs> is so minuscule. I mean, we don't use gold to settle any oil contracts or any wheat contracts or to, you know, we, nobody uses it as a currency in their ordinary daily transaction. Uh, People barely own any of it. Look at the pension fund. They bought a billion dollars worth and they're just making waves. A billion dollars worth? How much have they pumped into the system in the last few years? $50 trillion? So when you use gold as your numeraire to keep your balance sheets, and you're looking at this uh, wealth destruction that's going on, and that's really what bear markets do. Bear markets destroy wealth. That's Or, well, they destroy illusory wealth. Uh, The politicians who go out and engage in war, they're the ones engaging, you know, destroying the real wealth, because they borrow money to blow stuff up, and so not only do you destroy the capital asset, but you have a debt remaining, and you have nothing that you bought uh, with that debt, because you blew something up with it. So, I mean, they're the ones destroying the wealth. And that's what bear markets do. They they destroy the illusory wealth. And so if you denominate your, your net worth and things in gold ounces, then this $1,500 an ounce is just shredding your portfolios. And I was talking with a couple of friends of mine. We were having dinner, you know, about four-hour dinner. And uh, the the people at this dinner, they're all yeah, uh, you know, net worth of nine figures, you know, at least $100 million or more net worth. And uh, so we're talking about just this massive mess. And one of the guys, he managed money for George Soros, which is kind of fun, <laughs> right? And, uh, and I was talking about interest rates and this gold price suppression scheme. And I hadn't really heard about these put options on treasuries yet. But I said, you know, interest rates they they really have to go a lot higher to compensate for the risk that's in the in the market. And he was he was like, Well how high do you think that'd have to go? And I was like, Well, fifty percent at least and he was like, Okay, I'll give you fifty percent And I thought that was really interesting. You know, I kind of pull a number that I've, you know, I've kind of been looking at it. Hey, when will I sell my gold? Eh, probably 50%, you know, because nominal real rates, we've got just this massive mess. Uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sell my gold and hold on to fiat currency that's being fractional reserve banked. But I'd do it if I thought the risk-reward aspect of it was good enough. But to think that 50% interest when we're currently at, like, 0.25%, 0.25 percent. You know what? What would that do to the economy? Student loans and housing. You know what if mortgage? What if what if you went to go get a mortgage and it was 55 percent? <laughs> uh, but that's that's what we're looking at because they've been selling this large volume of options to keep the the price of Treasuries down to keep the yield yields low and things like that. So I mean I think we have severely higher interest rates coming, and uh, people who are managing money they're starting to wake up to the fact that there is a lot of risk out there, and they're starting to wake up to the fact that Treasuries are not risk free. Uh, in fact, they're they're a form of return free risk. And that's going to be a, a serious problem because there there's just not the volume uh, there in other assets for all of that illusionary crap to go into. And so it's going to have to be destroyed. Uh, it's going to, you know, systems not going to collapse, it's going to evaporate. And poof goes all these pension funds and, and things like that. And the irony is that the Fed, you know, in, the, in these Fed documents, they actually even see this happening. Uh, this is a direct quote from them. Quote, the resulting rush to unwind market positions would likely be very disruptive and send yields sharply higher. End of quote. And so that's exactly what I think we're going to see. They've been selling these puts to keep the yields down, keep treasuries up in the long term. They're trying to manipulate the curve. China is waking up to the game. They're shortening the maturity uh, curve of the the stuff that they hold. People are moving into shorter and shorter term uh, in shorter and shorter term uh, maturities. You look at Greece; their two-year yields are just broached uh, 20%, while their 13-month money is costing like 4.1%. So people are moving closer and closer uh, in, and then ultimately uh, closer and closer into you know just the fiat currency instead of like a three month or, or one month treasury they're moving straight into getting closer to Federal Reserve notes and then once they get there uh, then the only place to go is gold and silver and platinum and palladium and things like that and that's where we're going to go and it's going to be very disruptive and it's going to send yields sharply higher just like they said because you know what would so, someone wanted to borrow some money uh, from a uh, about a year and a half ago, and I was like, "Well, if I'm going to lend you money, we're going to tie it to gold." And you know, they didn't want to—they didn't want to tie it to gold, so I didn't lend them any money. <laughs> but uh, you know, what happens if they borrow 100 ounces of gold, and then the price of gold goes from like 1,100 to 1,400? Well, that effective burden is still going to be on them, as opposed to not having the effective burden on them, which is. Uh, what what has been happening slowly. But uh so holders holders of capital and savers, they're not gonna lend their gold out for these these paltry interest rates that uh current holders of capital are lending out. And so we're going to have some big disruptions in the bond market because interest rates are going to be going higher, not lower. And people are going to be moving out of fiat currency, not into it. And the, and this is all a result of the gold suppression scheme uh, ending. And it's ending because people are saying, give me physical delivery of my metal uh, and it's sending the metals into backwardation. So anyways, this has been the 88th episode of the run to goldcom podcast. I hope you have, found this, uh, elaboration on Eric DeCarvenol's, uh, great video, helpful and useful, and talk to you later. This is Tom Lorenzo from the Mises Institute, and you're listening to Run to Goal.